Welcome to episode 12 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 30th of March 2022. My name is Jack Chambers and I'm joined by the one and only Mark Williams-Cook. And today we'll be talking about the latest product review update from Google, tabbed meta descriptions in search engine results pages, Citrix's new live data feature, updates for Google Tag Manager, and the descent for URL parameter tool. Social Candor is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as their SERP snippet validator, on-page analysis, href lang validator, page speed comparison, and tracking your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com SWC for free tools, and systrix.com blog for all of their regular blog posts. And we'll get into some of the new features for paid Systrix users later on in the show. We've got a Google update. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this is one of the Google updates that I actually like. Oh, okay. So for older SEOs, SEOs that have been doing it a while, when we used to have Google updates, Google kind of used to be a bit more cool and tell us what the update was looking at and what it was focused on. They would kind of give you a bit of a heads up and a bit of a warning, right? Yeah, and, and even if they didn't, they'd be like, this, you know, we looked at, you know, this was a links-based one or this was this. And nowadays we get this line generally of, we've done a core update, which does a bunch of stuff. I don't know if that's because maybe the systems, algorithms, whatever you want to call it behind Google have changed so much that it's less, okay, we need to adjust these levers and dials to make the search results better. And it's more now we got this feedback and the machine did a thing and we don't really know what the machine did, but <laughs> it's testing better. Skynet has taken over and it's in control now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't know how much of that is actually genuinely the truth where they have sometimes, because I guess, you know, they, they do have certain parts of the algorithm that are made with machine learning models and they do some stuff based on, you know, the inputs and outputs that they want. So they can't necessarily do that. I think they probably could, but they've, some of the issue I think sometimes is obviously as soon as they give the SEO community any type of hint as to what may have changed, the laser focus goes on that. And it's almost kind of detrimental if we know that. But the reason I said I like this update is because there has been a, another Google update announced a week ago at the time we we're recording this. So the 23rd of March, and it is the latest product review update. I say latest because we had a specific product review update almost a year ago in May 2021, which we covered. We'll link to that in the show notes. So if you go to search.withcanda.co.uk, you'll see the transcription and show notes for this and every other episode. And it was back in episode 110, we covered some of the winners and losers. And I think actually in 109, we, we talked about the update and 110 was we went through some winners and losers of this product review update. Now, circling back around to why I like these updates is because we know roughly what they are about. And actually, this is one of the rare instances with these kind of updates where Google has given us actually very specific, prescriptive advice about this is what we are looking for. And it is very rare that you get that advice. There's like one um, pinned tweet now for core updates, which they just refer everyone to, which is like, yeah, we changed some stuff. 
you can't really do anything about it. So if you, you know, um, if you lost some rankings, so it's probably not you. It's not that you've lost rankings. It's someone else has gained them and we just re-ranked and, you know, the kind of stuff that no client ever wants to hear yeah. or, or no boss ever wants to hear um, when they're like, what are you going to do about it? And how are you <laughs> going to fix this? So I'll read, I'll read out the, the helpful part of this post. Again, we'll link to the post, um, which is a bit longer. It's got the kind of Google top and tails. But this is what I pulled away as the important bits. They said, our first updates were designed to, among other things, help ensure reviews come from people who demonstrate expert knowledge and first-hand research about products. Today's update builds on this work to make sure that product reviews in search meet certain criteria, such as, one, include helpful in-depth details like the benefits or drawbacks of a certain item, specifics on how a product performs or how the product differs from previous versions. Number two, come from people who have actually used the products and show what the product is physically like or how it's used. Three, include unique information beyond what the manufacturer provides like visuals, audio, or links to other content. That's interesting. Links to other content detailing the reviewer's experience. Uh, fourth, lastly on this list, cover comparable products or explain what sets a product apart from its competitors. There's a whole bunch of things I think you can dig into there and think about why Google is looking at these things specifically. I think some of them are more self-explanatory than others. I think a couple of things I'd like to pull out there is the benefits or drawbacks of a certain item and the fact that kind of drawing on that honesty side of things and looking at, and we've touched on this a lot with EAT and things like that, the trustworthiness of things that Google is now taking into account. You can't just say, we are the best because we're the best. This product is the best because it's better than all the others. Being honest and saying, actually, this competitor is better than us in this way, but our product is better in this way is a more correct way of doing it and a better way of doing it for users and from a search perspective as well, it seems. That's something we actually picked up in the in that episode 110 I mentioned earlier. Uh, we picked up uh, some winners and losers from a qualitative study Morty Oberstein did, who's at Wix again. Um, and one of the things he picked out was that the losers were the kind of affiliate pages that were just like hyping up a product because you've got this um, kind of collision of motivation, if you like. So you've got the search intent, which is I have whatever problem this is and I need a product to solve that problem. And you've got the affiliate motivation of I want you to buy the thing that I get paid <laughs> to sell you. So Again, that ties into what you said, I think, about the drawbacks. So it does show a degree of honesty if you're saying, well, this is good for this, this isn't maybe as good, and you're giving this whole picture. And it links in to um, what guidelines Google's provided here as well in terms of covering comparable products. So that, again, is thinking about the, in the intent, which is, you know, all the products have a purpose, the intent is actually just to solve that purpose within some criteria like price, et cetera, or brands, you know, you again, are probably, and all of this, you know, it comes down to probability of how 
likely you are to be the best answer will be a better answer if you've given that um, comparison. There's some quite, they seem obvious, but when you think about it at an algorithmic level of what Google's trying to work out, um, some really interesting things here, which I would look at if I'm producing um, a site with reviews or I have reviews on my site, actually putting together some specific guidelines, you know, a checklist saying, have we covered this? Have we covered this? Because this is one of the rare instances where Google has given us a good list of the things it's looking for. So to me, if you would like to rank in search and you're not doing those things, that's pretty wild because you've been told what to do. So <laughs> just do it. <laughs> um, and related to this, or following on from this, we had, I saw we had Dr. Marie Haynes did a little tweet thread, um, which was her very early kind of results. Again, winners, losers type things she's seen from this. So I'm just going to read this out. So again, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes. Dr. Marie Haynes says, several sites are seeing big changes across pages that recommend, quote unquote, best products. This site is an affiliate site. It ticks all of the boxes in Google's recommendations. So it links to multiple vendors, has pros and cons, helpful user reviews, in-depth product info, first-hand use. And I'm, I read this and I was like, oh yeah, that that's maybe, again, like a, a linguistic thing that Google's picked up from a machine learning point of view of, oh, if we're comparing lots of products or comparable products, it's very likely that the word best is going to be used in in a summary, I then see this tweet and I'm like, uh-oh, because I know how SEOs are going to react. Like, we need the word best on every review and <laughs> every template, um, which I think kind of misses the point. Um, you know, again, this is, like Marie's saying this is, you know, very early results. This is going to be at best correlation, but it's interesting to see where these things are being picked up. She goes on to say, I should add that links to multiple vendors is something Google recommends but was not a part of this update just yet. And it will be part of a, a future one. And she's um, quoted here a couple of tweets by a chap called Alan Kent, who is an e-commerce advocate at Google. And one of the things I found interesting that he pointed out, which was a reply to a question from Lily Ray, was that this algorithm update is just a boost for product reviews. But other pages would only be impacted if they if they believe Google believed it was a product review. So it's not going to kind of affect sites as a whole. This is, it seems, as far as I can make out from that limited information, yeah. that it's a page level uh, update. Um, there's a few more tweets in uh, Marie's thread saying another affiliate site. They're also seeing increases for searches containing best uh, content speaks of personal expertise. We tested these and analyzed them for comfort, durability, strength, etc. And again, I think that's unfortunately probably going to be like a trick I think some affiliate marketers are going to yeah. use in how they word these reviews because lots of affiliate marketers never see the product. They just <laughs> do the research. They're basically doing the legwork of the research for you and they're, they're writing it up. If they start writing kind of in this first person, we tested this, I did this, we compared this. I think that's the only way Google can realistically tell if that's been done because they haven't got, you know, they're still going on just on-page information. Google doesn't have a way to verify 
until it gets to that creepy stage where it's like, well, we've identified you in the video here and the, <laughs> we can see which product it is and we know that's you because of the voice print. <laughs> Have you scanned the thing with Google Lens using your phone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, they, they could. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't actually put it out of the realms of possibility that there might be some kind of verification for, for something like this with products and with individuals. Like, I've certainly heard of weirder ideas. But at the moment... It's just interesting to think about that one of the only ways that they can follow up on some of these statements is literally the wording you are using to say the same thing. <laughs> so changing it to we compared this as opposed to, you know, these products are can very could might affect actually what, what we're being seen here. So um I won't read out all of Marie's thread here. There's there's quite a lot for for you to dig into there. The only other thing I wanted to pick up was again one more quote that she had taken from Alan, from Alan Kent, which was where he said, product reviews on a merchant website would be impacted as well. This update is relevant to content we believe is a product review, not to product pages. When we believe the user wants a review and a page contains a review, we will try and find the best review for that query. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. doesn't it? But this does say then, obviously, you know, as a manufacturer, you could potentially lose rankings where you do have reviews of your own products to a site that is offering a review that's closer in experience to everything on that list. Because yeah. it's very rare that a manufacturer is going to be like, here are all of our competitor products. <laughs> here are the cons of our product. Yeah, you know? yeah. But that's, that's what, what I like about this and what I find so fascinating is that this is the core of what made Google Google, which is that they stepped away from using on-page signals because before Google, everyone was really heavily reliant on which page is the best one for this query. We'll just see what the page tells us. And that's the equivalent of going into a shop and asking the shop owner, is this a decent shop? You know, they're always <laughs> going to be like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Come on in. Whereas... <laughs> Because Google adopted this, oh, we're going to lean heavily on kind of the link graph of the web. It's a bit more, quote unquote, democratic. You know, that's a bit like saying to, you know, some randomers in the street, at least, you know, is this shop any good? And that's, that's kind of, that's good for the user experience. And that's reflected in this product review thing, because you don't want to read product reviews from the manufacturer. <laughs> Because they're going to tell you it's great. Again, it's touching on the honesty and the that kind of trustworthiness, right? If you know someone is making that product and reviewing it themselves, like you said, Mark, they're going to be, yeah, it's great. It's the best on the market because of course they are. Who doesn't want to sell their own products? Whereas you have a slightly different intent from users who want to kind of shop around, look at different reviews and stuff like that. So I think it is interesting. Like you said, you might see the product pages directly from the manufacturer being kind of affected by, if you put review at the end of your search, essentially, you're going to be looking at people who are comparing things across different companies, different manufacturers, different brands, different sites, and all that kind of thing. So I think it'll be an interesting way of kind of judging that from the intent of the user. Oh no, does this mean more influencers? Yes. Oh. <laughs> So we touched on some SERP features recently on an episode, and we've got another little one highlighted by Valerie Stimak on Twitter. And of course, 
previously mentioned Marie Haynes, previously mentioned Glenn Gabe, and previously mentioned Lily Ray, <laughs> have all uh, been tagged in this tweet, and we're going to talk about some tabbed sub-meta descriptions on SERPs, which I think is a really interesting way of getting more information on the SERP. And I know we've talked about this in the studio before, Mark, Google trying to sort of keep people on the search engine result page rather than actually clicking through to the page. And we'll get into that. There's some information from Glenn Gabe in a second about that as well. But actually looking at how instead of just essentially a few sentences, that, that typical meta description you've seen a million times before, this actually had tabbed out different subtopics that you could click through on the search engine result page without actually going through to the page itself on the site. And they use a true crimes pod uh, example here because everybody loves a true crime podcast these days. That's that's the hot topic <laughs> over the last few years. And Lily Ray touches on something saying she'd seen it before and then Barry Schwartz, of course, you probably know him from Search Engine Journal, jumps in and says, it first came to Bing, actually. <laughs> and we've touched on this a few times before as well. Bing will often push out a cool new idea and then Google, test it a bit and then Google follows as well. So it is new, kind of. Sort of, yeah, exactly. Wow, that's exactly. a win to get one past Barry where it's not new. Because normally it's not new. So it's kind of <laughs> new. Nice. Yeah. But he, the, the exact quote from Barry is both. First on Bing, then on Google. So yeah, it's on there. Kind of going off from what Glenn Gabe touched on and kind of spanned it upon. Uh, o. Christine asked on Twitter, I'm wondering if someone scrolls through this, does it count as a page view? So... As I said, it does not take you through to the page of the actual search result. You're staying on the SERP. So how does that kind of factor into people clicking through on your website and click-through rates and all that kind of stuff? And Glenn Gabe clarifies something here in a reply to this. Glenn Gabe says, those would be tracked like any other jump links in the SERPs. So the page receives an impression in search when it ranks as it normally would. That impression shows in Google Search Console. Google Analytics definitely would not trigger a page view since it has nothing to do with the page loading. So... There's a clarification for you, folks. It's not linking to Google Analytics because, as we know, not everybody has Google Analytics. That's not how that works. And But it counts as an impression for that specific jump link on your page. So, yeah, interesting stuff that Google are doing, slightly different things in the SERPs there as well. Well, fair to say, interesting thing that Bing are doing and then Google's copying it and people actually noticed it on Google. Fair, yes, yeah. <laughs> Just as, like, as is often the case. Yeah. The, what was it last episode? There was the, the thing Bing did and Google immediately copied. We've talked about it a couple of times yeah. already. Even I, in the 12 episodes I've done, <laughs> we've covered it a couple of times. I feel sorry for Bing when they do something cool like that and Google's like, yeah, we'll take it. It's, I think it's interesting because Bing can get away with more stuff because, like you said, people don't notice. So that I guess they have more kind of room for testing and playing around. And that allows Bing more room for testing because it has a lesser impact on the wider kind of search world and the SEO industry and people who are trying to rank and stuff like that. So they get to do the cool experimental stuff. And then Google is just like, yeah, we'll have that, please. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll steal your idea now. <laughs> Talking about people changing things, I'm just going to go off on a small tangent here about Google and them changing things and actually caring what anyone thinks. So we know that long time ago they got rid of organic keywords so we couldn't see it under the guise of you know privacy. But you could still see the keywords if you paid for them on, on Google Ads because yeah. then privacy doesn't exist because you paid for it. <laughs> but obviously now in Google's steps to make everything more and more broad match, um, they've stopped showing 
a lot of search query data in Google ads. We've discussed this before on the podcast now. It just reminded me because I saw a tweet yesterday of someone saying they'd spent, I think it was about $1,500 on Google and they only had visibility for 10% of the keywords, for 10% of that money that they'd spent, so about $150. The rest of that money, they have no idea what keywords generated those clicks and which generated the conversions because they're like, I've had some conversions. <laughs> But I can't make any decisions. And yeah. Yeah. That. Anyway, now that's off my chest. I found this interesting because I'd kind of given up on meta descriptions a lot. So we've known for a long time, Google said that we don't use meta descriptions in ranking, yep. which is fine. Still important because they can drastically affect click-through rate and SEO is all about getting more organic traffic. So it's important we do that. But then Google has increasingly, again, just been like, rewriting meta descriptions yeah and obviously we had the title apocalypse last year and they did a sim they do similar things for meta descriptions as well but yeah they're, they're like really aggressive meta yeah. descriptions it's like depending you know which um study you've looked at it's like 50 to 80 percent are just rewritten so, so it's 60 percent of titles and like yeah 80 percent of meta descriptions or something yeah like right that. so that there's super high numbers now so you know i've never thought it's a great way to spend your time but you know certainly when i've seen people sitting there with like a spreadsheet of meta descriptions i'm like just don't even bother because you know 80 percent of that is going to be completely useless but if we're getting results like this this is interesting because actually as a user i like this because yeah, it gives me, me it's like that information sent thing so like how when you are on a website and say you can use the menu to get a scent for what information is on that site and what they do. And you're getting that earlier here. So like with this pod, I can see what some of the titles of the episodes are and without loading the site or, you know, going through that experience, I can kind of get some idea of maybe if I like it. So it, it might be that in some instances where Google's showing these tab meta descriptions, it might be worth going back to, you know, tidying those up to see if you can do a better job. It may be that Google's just going to be generating all of this and being like, yeah, I got it. Don't you worry about it. Which is fine, because it's kind of a boring job anyway, as far as the SEO jobs go, you know, the meta description. So with that time in the show, we're going to dive into some information from Systrix. And we're actually going to have a bit of a feature update from Systrix. And I know these guys have been working very hard over the last few weeks, getting the live data update out for Systrix users. I'm going to basically dive into the blog post. Of course, as always, there is a link for it in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. And you can go read the full breakdown of basically the change log and all the updates from Systrix for live data and newer features such as the search intent, traffic prediction, and global keywords, which are now available in the main overview for your domain. Here is the update from Systrix. Systrix are now in the process of rolling out the new live data options covering lists and analyses. This update includes visibility index rank, intent breakdown, and global data views. Some user accounts have already been switched over. You can, however, activate the feature if you are available in Systrix Labs. We mentioned Systrix Labs last week. That is basically a little testing ground for new features and stuff for certain users. So if you have access to Systrix Labs, you can actually activate this feature manually if you choose to. When the feature is activated, many of our results tables will be based on the new live database. You can activate a date column in the keyword table, for example, order the list by the most recent date, and then see immediately when rankings were last updated. So this is 
to the minute, essentially, live data coming from their keyword rankings and all this kind of stuff from their visibility index as well, which is a key part of that. And we'll dive into the visibility index rank here as well. And the question is, what position does a domain have in the visibility ranking? So one of the new innovations that comes in with the activation of this live index is the display of the VI, visibility index rank, of each domain. So you can actually compare and contrast yourself across different verticals and across different visible domains for your country. To determine this value, we saw all domains with a VI value in descending order and update this on a daily basis. So you're getting day-to-day -day information. To give you a feeling of what VI values can be expected in a range of positions, and they give a few examples here. So VI rank one with a visibility index of 17,264.81 is of course Google itself, where all organic features are taken into account. Then going to VI rank 10, you're looking at something like fandom.com, which has a VI of 576. So quite a big drop off. You notice there we started at 17,000. We're now in the 500s for fandom.com. And then going to 100, we're now in the sort of Double digits, we're down to 59.62 for Europa.eu. Then moving on to the search intent, traffic prediction, global keyword side of things. These are now available in the domain overview, and this is a new feature. So you can look at the global figures for organic keyword rankings and data for all of the countries that Systrix has analyzed. So you can actually change that and look at where you're ranking in Germany, where you're ranking in the US, where you're ranking in the UK, all that kind of stuff, and cover a lot of different things. You get an instant overview of the main search intent of the ranking keywords. Is it a no? Is it a do? All that kind of stuff. I know we've touched on search intent a few times with a few other tools. And now we have this in the live data and global keywords from Systrix. The traffic estimates also show the average monthly organic visitors per month that can be achieved from the keyword rankings. And for the organic traffic value, Systrix calculates this essentially equates it to how much it would cost to buy those visitors through ads. So kind of equating the SEO side of things to the PPC side of things. You can also see whether there is desktop, mobile or tablet traffic on the domain as well. And you can get more details, as I said, if you go to the link in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. If you are a Systrix user or you want to try some of this stuff out, you can go there, click on the link and go through and read Systrix's post in full. I feel like we're going to be talking more and more about analytics over the next 12 months, probably. Yeah, we touched a lot on GA4 and alternatives and even tutorials for GA4 last week. So if you haven't already listened to that and you aren't aware of what's going to happen with Universal Analytics, I recommend you go back and listen to last week's show if you're uh, somehow living under an SEO rock and haven't paid attention to the fact that Universal Analytics has stopped being supported as of next year, July 2023. So, yeah. So if you are interested in Google Analytics, you have probably come across, guess what some people consider like the godfather of GA, which is Simo Harva. He's a lovely chap. He was on our podcast last year with Chris Seiden, who we mentioned in the GA4 podcast in the last episode. He used to be the project manager um, at Google. And Simo is just really well known for posting excellent information about everything to do with analytics and tracking. He does real deep dives uh, into 
basically how all this stuff works, how to implement it, and has got a very well-founded expert reputation because of these uh, blog posts and tutorials. So we'll link to his blog in the show notes. If you haven't seen it, then it was worth you listening to this whole podcast just to hear his name, to go and find his blog. <laughs> um, you've, if you've Googled pretty much anything to do with GA or How does this manager, work in Google Analytics? You'll probably come across Simo's blog. probably found him, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of bring this up because these updates to platforms like Google Tag Manager, which is what we're going to be talking about, a couple of updates, are, are really easy to, to miss, basically. You know, and this is the point of this podcast, really, is we're trying to keep an eye via Twitter and blogs and all of the different kind of official mouthpieces from Bing and Google and work out what's important, you know, which is one of the hardest things of being in the industry is trying to just stay aware of everything and then work out what's worth you learning because, you know, nobody can take all these topics, see all the changes and be a deep expert in all these things. But this is something that I think is worth at least everyone knowing about. And guess what? Seema's done a tutorial um, if you want to learn about the implementation, but it's, I'll, I'll read his tweet because he describes it as two very, very important releases to server-side Google Tag Manager. One of them is arguably the most important update to the platform in a long, long time. And, other, um, and the other opens up a myriad of use cases for data enrichment at scale. You know it's important because he said very twice and he said long twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you get an expert talking about a subject and they say very, very important <laughs> and the most important update in a long, long time, probably, you know, probably worth listening to. Absolutely. <clears throat> so there's two things here that are changing, which is asynchronous variables and promises, which, again, if you're not kind of, I guess it's more than knee deep, waist deep, shoulder deep in analytics, probably <laughs> doesn't mean a lot to you. Um, so asynchronous variables, basically just so asynchronous, you know, is kind of the opposite to synchronous. It means they're happening at a different time. Asynchronous variables essentially means that you can now execute your tag manager code and it can pretty much wait for you to fetch other variables while it's going on and it will come back for that. So a, a use case for this um, that we've had to do so we haven't used this but where we could have used it is for instance when we were doing some analytics work and we were running a pay-per-click account and alongside some other behavioral data we were trying to well we were pulling in weather data because for this particular client we wanted to try and see what the correlations were between if it was a super hot sunny day and if it was a freezing cold rainy day like it is most of the time um, in England as to how that affected their sales and which products. So we could actually look at doing various bid adjustments and campaign adjustments dependent on the weather. And it was a little bit tricky to do because we're trying to obviously record all this user behavior as it happens and then you send requests off and they don't come back instantly. This is what essentially this asynchronous variable stuff will allow you to do. It's a really easy way. Um, Seema puts it as um, enrich your data at scale. So basically you can take in maybe three, four different requests from other sources and variables, and now it will neatly plug into this kind of one flow. And promises is essentially the kind of wrapper to make this happen within your 
code. So you've got platforms like BigQuery that are already, <laughs> the term he uses is promisified. I guess that's a <laughs> word we're using now. So they're already wrapped up and they, they do this for you. So a promise refers to the fact that when this code executes, it's, it says, okay, I've got to go get this variable, but you carry on doing what you're doing because I promise you when you come back, it will be here and I <laughs> yeah. have it. And one of the things they've got is essentially this, this um, JavaScript promise stuff is a way for when you make your code templates to make these variables in, in this kind of promise, I don't know if framework's the right word, wrapper, um, and probably there's probably a developer cringing here. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's essentially a way to wrap up those those variables and put them into into this way of working. Yeah, we've touched on APIs quite a few times recently as well. And like you said, this is a way to run multiple APIs and return a single promise that is resolved once all of the API calls have returned with results. So instead of pinging one, then pinging in the next, then pinging the other, then pinging the other, and getting in that kind of chain of APIs, you can just kind of, as you said, Mark, send it off on its way, it will leave you with a promise, and then it will come back with the full results and a full chain of API results as and when you need it and when it's available. We'll put a link, as you can probably guess, search.withcanada.co.uk, and Simo, of course, has written up an in-depth guide um, into how to implement this. So if you are a Google Tag Manager nerd, this should be top of your reading. So let's finish off with Google sunsetting another thing, shall we? Not quite as dramatic as Universal Analytics, but it is considerably shorter notice. So I'm going to touch on what they have described as their spring cleaning of the URL parameters tool. And I'll read the post directly here from the developer blog on Google. In short, we're deprecating the URL parameters tool in Search Console in one month. None of this, it's happening in 14 months in July 2023. It's going to be gone in a month. There's no action required from current users of the tool. And when the URL parameters tool launched in 2009 in Search Console's predecessor called Webmaster Tools, I'm sure some old school SEOs out there, you know what I'm talking about. The internet was a much wilder place than it is today. Session ID parameters were very common. CMSs had trouble organizing parameters and browsers often broke links. With the URL parameters tool, site owners had granular control over how Google crawled their site by specifying how certain parameters affected the content on the site. Over the years, Google has become much better at guessing which parameters are useful on a site and which, plainly put, are useless. In fact, about 1% of the parameter configurations currently specified in the URL parameters tool are useful for crawling. I don't get this. 1% <laughs> is a huge amount of URLs. That sounds like a lot. We've talked we've touched on this a few times talking about like search engine numbers and oh it only affects like 0.6% and then oh by the way that's trillions so 0.6% is billions which sounds like a lot to me. I don't get it says yeah. In fact, only about 1% of the of parameter the configurations parameter. currently specified in the URL parameters are useful for crawling. I just, surely that's, a, I mean, so I think what has happened here is that this is a call that Google's made because there will be people who get this wrong and are actively shooting themselves in the foot and they've determined that, well, actually our automation does a better job on the whole. In the same, in, you know, in the same way that th that was their response to the title tag rewriting, right? Because everyone's like, there are titles 
we're humans. We've got big fleshy brains. Let's use them. We can write good titles. And Google's kind of response was, yeah, but you're all kind of SEO webmastery people. But the other like 90% of the internet, a whole load of their titles are really bad. So we're fixing all of them. So you just can't have your surgical tools or control to do that. And I feel that's what's happening here, which is that, you know, if, if you're working in SEO and, you know, you've used this before, you can learn how to use this tool. And it is helpful because Google does sometimes get it wrong. But I think what's happened here is that like the, you know, canonicals, like probably the disavow, there are people doing more harm than good to themselves where Google's seen that people are using it incorrectly and then are kind of you know, snafuing their, their crawler. So they've, they've just decided to take the toy away, take the yeah. knife away from the child. I think it's also, and what we've talked about recently with like Bert and Mum and all this kind of stuff and how sophisticated Google is now at crawling and understanding websites in different ways. This kind of 1% of parameter configurations currently specified are useful for crawling. Google is essentially telling you, we've evolved past this. We know how the web, how the web works. Like we understand how the internet works and we can just kind of sort it ourselves, like you were saying, Mark, with the title side of things. So, yeah, they they go on to talk about kind of the low value of it all and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be gone in a month. Uh, going forward, you don't need to do anything to specify the function of URL parameters on your site. Google's crawlers will learn how to deal with URL parameters automatically. You don't even need to do anything. Google just does it automatically. And as we discussed, there's never been a problem with that before. So everything will be fine. I, I In fairness, I think, there will be fewer problems because, as they said, that the kind of nature of the web has changed. But I guess it just always irks me as a professional when someone <laughs> takes away a tool that I know how to use and, and, and has helped me yeah. before um, because they're not perfect. So if you're not perfect, why not give us a, a way to fix it? And the final little bit from Google here, they say, if you need more control, so this is looking at you, SEOs and webmasters, you can use robots.txt rules. For example, you can specify parameter orders in an allow directive. I'm sure anybody who's used robots.txt, you know what I'm talking about there. Or use hreflang to specify language variations of your content. Right. Except so, that's a different thing, yeah. right? So um, if you can't peel this apple with this knife, here's a screwdriver. <laughs> Uh, you that, could, that you is could a, peel an apple yeah. with a screwdriver, but you'd probably be there a while. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, robots.txt, we're talking about allow, disallow, mainly URLs. The parameter tool was specifying this filters data, this generates, you know, new content. That's completely different. So, yeah, don't try and placate me. I feel like <laughs> they're kind of lumping the whole URL parameter thing. So thinking about like search queries and all that kind of stuff like a lot of that is what you use the robots.txt for is you're filtering out all the oh we don't want like the a lot of the query strings to be indexed that makes sense but yeah you're right this is a different thing like yeah well the robots.txt wouldn't stop them but i mean yeah you, you're, you're trying to you're trying to stop google crawling it i guess so you could argue yeah, yeah if you said okay this is just a filter it adds no value in the url parameter tools that's going to signal to the crawlers yeah we probably shouldn't yeah. bother crawling this which is same same but different to robots.txt <laughs> because i would expect in the url parameters tool if google's decided actually this stuff isn't worth crawling if i get links to it it's still gonna count and crawl from there and count those links whereas if i robot off 
you know, a chunk of my site because it's designed badly. If I then get links there, they're not going to count because it's not going to be crawled from then on. So again, it that feels like a bit of a a bit of a cop out almost. A blunt tool. Yeah. To do a, to do yeah. A, yeah. That's the spoon for the surgery. <laughs> That's the screwdriver for the apple. We've taken it? the scalpels away, but use the spoon to remove the appendix. Have you ever you played Surgeon Simulator? That's pretty much I what have, you end up doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they, is there get a the second big, one Get now? the big hammers and stuff. Yeah, there is, yeah. Is yeah. it VR? I think it does VR. It's full VR, yeah. Might have to have a go on that. We'll bring that into the studio audience. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't get to, you don't get to play, but we will. Live live URL. The... We're turning Candor into a Twitch streaming agency <laughs> and just... We'll become influencers in the end. Can you imagine watching a, tri- a Twitch stream of someone like using the URL parameters tool <laughs> in VR? <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we've got time for this week, but I'll be back next week, which is Monday, the 11th of April, with an interview with the one and only Claire Carlisle. In the meantime, if you're going to Brighton SEO later this week, please let us know. Say hello. I know Claire is going to be there as well. Hopefully we'll get a chance to say hello to Claire. And yeah, if you're attending Brighton SEO, Mark also has a talk in the main auditorium as part of the keyword research segment on the Thursday at about 10 past four in the afternoon. And me and a couple of other Candalorians will be hovering around doing stuff, hanging out, doing karaoke stuff, you know, the usual things that happen at conferences and stuff. So yeah, if you do see us, come and say hello, lovely listeners. We'd love to meet you all. And yeah, tune in next week for my interview with Claire Carlisle. Thank you for listening this week and we'll be back next week.